Welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And today we look at Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is one of the Psalms, and there are about 13 or 14 of them, that connect the heading or connect the Psalm with the specific historical events in the life of David. The heading says, A Psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. That heading is tied to 1 Samuel 21, verses 10 through 15. Now, some say, if we were just to read the psalm without that heading, we would never come to a conclusion that it had anything to do with 1 Samuel chapter 21. And I can understand that statement. Peter Craigie wrote that because this psalm would not readily be identified with those events in 1 Samuel 21, that is a good indication that the title is ancient and was always associated with the psalm itself. In other words, the unlikeliness of connecting this psalm with that historical event only strengthens the fact that the heading is authentic. Psalm 34 is an imperfect acrostic, but its 22 verses roughly correspond with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There are elements of this song that sound like a praise or thanksgiving song, and there are elements of this psalm that sound like a wisdom or teaching psalm. But beginning in the first three verses, I bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Notice he's blessing the Lord at all times in verse 1. And his praise is continually in his mouth. Continually at all times. This is something that he wants to do perpetually, constantly. He is going to be praising God. Notice he describes this in verse 2 as boasting in the Lord, in verse 3, magnifying the Lord, verse 3, exalting His name. Exalt His name, magnify His name, boast in the Lord. All of these are ways to express His praise, His confidence of God. God is great. God is worthy of praise. This is particularly good news in verse 2 for those who are humble, the humble, the weak. And this same word humble is going to be translated poor in verse 6. But, but they are ones who boast in God, who rejoice in God, who magnify the Lord. They are ones that place their confidence in Him. Now, there's going to be a lot to say in this psalm of the writer experiencing troubles, but the Lord delivering him from his troubles. 
you see that emphasis beginning with verse 4. And let's read verses 4 through 7. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. In verse 4, I sought the Lord. Verse 4 speaks of seeking the Lord. Verse 10, we'll use this same word to talk about seeking the Lord. And verse 14, we'll use this when it says to seek peace and pursue it. But he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, this psalm has sometimes been accused of promising too many blessings to the righteous. It promises a rosy life. But notice that the psalm continually speaks of troubles and difficulties and trials in life. He sought the Lord, in verse 4, He answered me and delivered me from my fears. So the life of the righteous has fears. The life of the righteous has troubles in verse 6. But the Bible says, I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, verse 5. And their faces were never ashamed. Now, the word radiant used in verse 5 is only used one other time in the Hebrew Bible. This word is used in Isaiah 60 and verse 5. In Isaiah 60, verses 4 and 5, picture Zion rejoicing when, they see her, when she sees her sons and daughters return. When she sees her sons and daughters return, she is radiant. She is overflowing with joy. This is the same way that those who are delivered by God feel. This is the same expression they indicate. Their faces are radiant. In verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. As we stated a moment ago, this psalm will constantly talk of the fears, the troubles, the afflictions of the righteous. But it will also stress the Lord delivering us. In verse 4, he delivered me from all my fears. And in verse 6, he saved me from all my troubles. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he rescues them. Angels are mentioned in Psalm 91 in verse 10 and 11. But the term angel of the Lord is only used twice in the Psalms. Here in 34 verse 7 and then also in 35 verse 6. In 35 verse 6, let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing him. 
In Psalm 35 and verse 6, the angel of the Lord is pursuing, hounding, chasing those who are wicked and those who afflict the righteous. So the angel of the Lord punishes those who are ungodly. In 34 verse 7, the angel of the Lord is protecting, encamping around those who fear him. And he is rescuing them. You may remember in 2 Kings chapter 6, when Elisha's servant looks out the window and sees that there are horses and chariots sent by the king of Aram to arrest Elisha. And he says, my master. And Elisha says, do not be afraid. For those who are for us are more than those who are for them. And he prayed, Lord, open his eyes. And he sees angels and chariots of fire encircling that place. Second Kings 6, verses 14 through 17. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he rescues them. And in verses 8 through 10, the writer invites, David invites, his listener, to test out what he's saying. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. Yet those who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Now, these passages interesting, are very interesting. First of all, they declare the Lord is good. That word good is going to be used in verse 10, verse 12, verse 14 later. But right now, the declaration is that the Lord is good. The, the confession that the Lord is good is one of the most fundamental confessions in all the land of Israel. The Lord is good good. The Lord is good. And how blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And because the one is blessed who takes refuge in him, the saints are called to fear God. And they are told in verse 9 that if you fear God, you will experience no want, no lack of anything. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. For those who fear him, there is no want. Now, I want you to notice the contrast between verse 9, those who fear him experience no want, and verse 10, uh, how those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Notice how that contrast with verse 10, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. I want us to appreciate this contrast. First of all, the term lion is used sometimes in the book of Psalms for the wicked. You see that in Psalm 7, verses 1 and 2, in Psalm 10, verse 9, in Psalm 17, verse 12. The lion is used as a picture of the wicked. The lion is called the king of beasts. 
because it is a powerful animal who can defeat its foes and is unlikely to suffer hunger. The lion is unlikely to suffer hunger, and the kind of lion, the typical lion that's going to suffer hunger, is not the young lion. The young lions would be the most athletic and the most energetic of hunters. But the point is, the most self-sufficient of creatures and the most powerful among these self-sufficient creatures, the young lions, they may go without before those who seek the Lord will experience any lack. That is not promising us a bed of roses, That statement is not telling us that life will always be easy. We've seen in verse 4 that there are fears. In verse 6 that there are troubles. We will see in verse 19 that there are afflictions. It's not promising us that everything will be easy. But it is saying the road to ultimate blessing is fearing the Lord, taking refuge in Him, And seeking Him. That is the road to ultimate blessing. While the road opposite that, living in defiance and disregard of God, is a road that will ultimately lead to destruction. Psalm 34, verse 11, begins the section of the psalm that sounds much like a wisdom psalm, like Psalm 37, like Psalm 73. It is teaching something. It is didactic in that sense. And it sounds much like the book of Proverbs. But verse 11, Come, you children, or you sons, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Remember in Proverbs that you often have a teacher speaking to his students as my son or my sons. He addresses his learners that way. This is the only time it's done in the book of Psalms, though. In Psalm 34, verse 11, Come, you sons, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says the fear of the Lord is the basis of all knowledge. And here I will teach you the fear of the Lord. In verse 12, who is the man who desires life, who loves length of days that he may see good? How is it in our lives that we're going to see good, experience good? Well, he's going to state. But he mentions length of days, which in Proverbs 3.2, Proverbs 3.16, and other passages is held out as a blessing to the righteous in that book. But if you want to love life, if you want to see good days, if you want to experience length of life, what you need to do in verse 13 is keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Avoid saying destructive and harmful things. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Keep your tongue from that. 
In verse 14, depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. This is the road to blessing, restraining your tongue, not saying evil and hurtful things of others, departing from evil and doing good. If you want to see good in verse 12, then do good in verse 14. The one who confesses that the Lord is good in verse 8 is to do good in verse 14, and then he will see good or lack nothing good in verse 10 and in verse 12. But the reason that this is the path of blessing is because in verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but their cry, but the face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off their memory from the earth. Because God's eyes are on the righteous, his ears hear their prayer, and but his face is set against the wicked. This is why we need to pursue him, following him, walking in his way, instead of living in disregard and disobedience to him. Now those words are quoted in 1 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12. Lord willing, talk about that more in a moment. In verse 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers him, delivers them out of all their troubles. So again, the righteous have troubles, they have problems, but the Lord delivers them. The righteous cry, the Lord hears, delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Psalm 51 verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Psalm 51 and verse 17. 17. A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. The Messiah was going to bind up the brokenhearted. Isaiah 61 and verses 1 and 2. He's going to bind up the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted? Are you crushed in spirit? Has all hope that you were going to be saved been abandoned? The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It may be that our failures, our defeats, our difficult experiences humble us so that we may recognize that God is our only hope. In verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Again, the righteous has prob- have problems. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Them all. He keeps all his bones, and not one of them is broken. The righteous have problems. They have afflictions. But the Lord delivers them to such a degree that they don't break a bone. 
in verses 21 and 22, the psalm ends by a strong contrast between the evil, the wicked, and the righteous. The text tells us, evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Notice that difference between being condemned and not being condemned. In verse 21, the Bible tells us that the evil people will be condemned. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. In verse 22, the text tells us that the ones who take refuge in him will not be condemned. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This psalm emphasizes the righteous will have fears, verse 4, troubles, verse 6. The righteous will have their troubles again, verse 17, and they will experience many afflictions, verse 19. But the text emphasizes the Lord delivers. In verse 4, the Lord delivered me from all my fears. And then David uses his personal experience, to encourage others. In verse 6, he heard this poor man and saved him out of all his troubles. In verse 7, the angel of the Lord is rescuing those who put their trust in him. In verse 10, the Bible tells us that those who seek the Lord will not experience any want or lack any good thing. In verse 15, that God's eyes are open toward the righteous, and he hears their prayers. In verse 17, he delivers them out of all their troubles. In verses not in verse 19, he delivers him out of them all. The righteous have problems, but the Lord delivers them. And I would suggest that Jesus even stretches the meaning of this psalm. The statement in verse 20 that not one of his bones will be broken is referred to in John 19 in verse 36. Now there's much going on in that text in John 19, 36, but let's set the context. Jesus is being crucified. They break the legs of the one on the right and the left of Jesus. But they come to him and find that he's dead, and they don't break his legs. They don't break his bones. They pierce his side, and out comes blood and water. But they don't break his bones that the Scripture might be fulfilled, that not a bone would be broken I think Jesus is fulfilling the Passover lamb ideal in Exodus 12:46, but I think also Jesus is fulfilling the image of a righteous sufferer from Psalm 34:20, where God keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. Not one of them is broken. The righteous are going to have problems in life. But the Lord delivers them. But look at Jesus dying on the cross. He dies on the cross. But this statement that no bone will be broken would find a deeper meaning in the resurrection. Even death cannot prevent God delivering his people
out of all their troubles. Jesus stretches the meaning of Psalm 34, verse 20. And the meaning of Psalm 34, even if we do not see the righteous delivered in this life, they will be by resurrection. And it's fascinating to me that 1 Peter 2, verse 3 quotes Psalm 34, 8. And 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12 quote Psalm 34, 12 through 16. It quotes these passages of Scripture to suffering Christians to tell them in the midst of all their afflictions, the Lord will deliver them. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you.